Real quick before we start the show, just wanted to let you guys know you can get the show two days early by joining our Patreon. Even for a buck, you can listen to the show two days early. Go to patreon.com slash analog talk and we got a bunch of stuff over there. Check it out and uh, yeah, enjoy the episode. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Analog Talk, a film photography podcast. I'm your host, Chris. I'm Tim. And today's special guest, we have Agatha Nitika. Welcome to the show, Agatha. How are you doing? (laughs) I'm very good today, yes. Well, I have to tell you, I've been a fan of your work for years, um, so I'm excited <laughs> to have you? you on this show. Yes, but for oh, those wow. of you, who, for those of our listeners who may not know you, can you give us a background on yourself and how you got started in photography? Yes, yeah, so um, so I'm I'm based based in the UK, uh, predominantly London based, and I work in the film industry here. Um, oh. So my path to photography was actually quite an interesting one because I did study photography, but I was oh, doing cool, these sort of cool. really moody black and white landscapes, and I didn't know that my role in the film industry actually existed. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a very lucky situation in a way because I know that people normally have to work super hard. You know, they have to be runners and they have to work crazy hours and sort of climb the ladder mm-hmm. um, if they want to be in the film industry. And that didn't happen to me. So I always talk about it quite openly because I think a lot of people feel that you have to work very, very hard and then others pretend like they have when they haven't. Oh, and wow. and wow. I haven't actually. So <laughs> I I just kind of, it happened to me. Andrea Arnold, um, who is a, a, a quite well-known British director here in the UK, but I think in the US now as well. Um, uh, she did American Honey. I don't know if that's the film mm-hmm. that you've mm-hmm. seen and Fish Tank and, and Watering Heights. Um, So she was looking for someone to work on her set, and that was Woodring Heights. Um, And she was looking for a photographer who is not a typical stills photographer. She wanted a sort of a fine art photographer. She wanted someone who works on film. And she came across my black and white landscape photography, which was super moody, very kind of Woodring Heights. And she reached out. So my first job was on Woodring Heights with Andrew Arnold, wow. not knowing that this is a role that is actually very difficult to achieve. And also, yeah. you know, I'd like to be open because I think it's important. I really didn't know that you would have a stills photographer on set at the time. You know, mm. I assumed that all the promotional photography and posters that you see are somehow taken from the film directly. Yeah. Right. See, I always, I always thought that too. Yeah, same, same here. I, I think a lot of people think that because in a way it makes sense and mm-hmm. it's interesting to see that now productions have the ability to do that yeah. Uh, yeah. because the cameras, the moving image cameras are in such high resolution that you can basically get an image from the mm-hmm. film itself yeah, and it's perfect yeah. you don't get any movement it's super high resolution you can print billboards so it's interesting that you know what i kind of assumed in a way now exists yeah. very yeah, easily yeah, yeah. um but it's also fantastic that this role of a still photographer does exist and um that i i got this job and it was um an amazing experience and i and i owe and i also 
like to say it openly that I, I owe my whole I owe my whole career to Andrew <laughs> Arnold um, because she gave me this chance. Um, you know, she convinced producers to have me on board. Obviously, I was completely inexperienced. I've never been on a film set before. Yeah. Um, and she fought for me creatively and she taught me how to fight for what I believe is a good image and how I want to work. And I think that's something that I'm most grateful for. So wow. that's amazing. I'll tell you why I'm a huge fan of your work tell is me. because I'm actually a stills photographer out in Los Angeles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so, my God. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. We have so much to talk about. Yeah, I love so this. I got introduced uh, to your work by a friend of mine who's like, a hu- he's also, into- he's actually Adrian. He was on our show way, way uh-huh. back in the beginning. Yeah. And he's a hu- huge fo- like movie guy. He's also has a great eye for photography. So we have that in common. So he came in to where we, where we worked one day. I was like, you have to check out these images from the film 45. And I was like, How? 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 How is she able to get do this? Because as you know, still photographers are like, okay, like get the shot while they're filming and then we're moving yeah. on. Next. Like yeah. so I want to hear all about like what How? what yes. <laughs> That's a fantastic question, actually. I mean, it's a difficult one to answer in a way because yeah, it's <laughs> a difficult choice that you have to make. And it's not a choice that everyone is comfortable with. And I'm sure you understand. I'm really happy that you work in the industry as well. Mm -hmm. So um, I'd love to speak to you as well about it. Because I think it's interesting (laughs) to hear, for example, what are your experiences Mm -hmm. over the pond? You know, it's maybe slightly different here. So um, the way that I do it is that I think because I worked with Andrew and she sort of told me, you really just do what you want to do and do the creative i know um but what that means is less jobs because you wouldn't be doing a lot of commercial work necessarily you'll only be requested to work by Mm. particular projects Mm -hmm. or directors you will be potentially a little bit more difficult to work with from a production point of view because they want full coverage don't they they want thousands of stills they want everything just to make sure that they've got it and then i rock up with my little analog cameras <laughs> and 36 shots. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. And, mm. you know, sometimes it's one roll per day. Yeah. And how do you explain this to someone who is paying a lot of money for you to be there? So recently I have started um, having digital backup. But the main reason for it is that the kind of moving image cameras can basically shoot in darkness now, as I'm sure you've yeah. seen. Mm-hmm. You know, there is Sony Venice and it's basically super light sensitive. So cinematographers don't have to light in the same way that they had before. Right, which is really hard for us because <laughs> I'm like, this is a dark closet. There's nothing here. Where's where's the lighting? <laughs> Where can I see? Like, you can't see anything. Yeah, and then no. obviously if you shoot on film, you're very limited in terms mm-hmm. of like, if it's dark, it, it's dark. Like right. you can't do anything about it. This is the stock you have. So sometimes with black and white, I would say have an 800 that I would push to 1600 mm-hmm. or 3200. But with color, you know, you can't really push it to 3200, although I do sometimes. Yeah, yeah. yeah but yeah. I think it's relatively recent, I would say, that I had to have a digital camera on set just because of the dark. Mm. issue you know it's just too dark for me to be purely analog however this would be a backup and this would be only used in a kind of emergency i still say that i only shoot on film and the production either agrees to this or not 
but it is a much more complicated path. It's a little bit more painful. There are a lot of conversations to be had, jobs right. that you might lose. And there's a lot of fighting, actually. Mm-hmm. And and mm-hmm. I don't think I... Um, I think it's important to emphasize that, that who you work for um, is actually a commercial entity. The film itself is beautiful. You work with a lot of creatives on set. The relationship you have with a director and a cinematographer is the most beautiful relationship you can ever mm-hmm. think of. Mm-hmm. However, you've got financiers, producers, and execs who yes. want images to sell the film. And that becomes a very different story. They're not interested. Yeah, because they're not interested in that. And you have you have to, you know, make these other people happy who they're like, well, they don't care. <laughs> you know, it's a, yeah. Yeah, a very tricky situation it i think it is and i and i think it's um that's why i said it's a matter of personal choice Mm. would you rather be working more um and shoot more potentially and also make it easier for everyone but perhaps you wouldn't feel as creatively fulfilled or are you willing to have less jobs and perhaps do something else that also is a source of income Mm -hmm. um and and really kind of hone in this kind of path of creativity and concentrate on a real relationship with a director and the cinematographer. So it really depends. And I never judge. I think um, people sort of decide how they want to do photography and what feels like it gives them the most pleasure, but also income. Um, but for me, I think because of how it happened to me, do you see what I mean? Like mm-hmm. I haven't yeah, yeah. set out to be on this path. I didn't want to work in the film industry. Andrea Arnold seriously just gave me a call. So I think because of the Woodering Heights and how the process, you know, the process that we went through on the film set and how raw everything was, I think that really created the path for me in a sense. And I felt very comfortable with it and I loved it. So let me ask you, do do you ever go on set and they've hired a stills photographer to do that specific like coverage and then you come in as like the key art photographer separately? Yes, I actually yeah. suggest that to many productions. Yeah, so yeah. it's not something that they would come up with previously. It's something that I started pushing. Right. And I'm very comfortable working that way, but I don't know if other photographers like working in this way. But I recently, for example, predominantly I try to say, look, you can have me say for five, seven days. And I'm very, very happy for you to have another photographer mm-hmm. working in the yeah. way that you want them to be working. And so I actually think it's great that I'm not trying to do the whole jobs because I like sharing and I like the idea of other photographers having access to the same job. I don't think that's a bad thing necessarily. So, you know, if they only have me for five days, that means that somebody else can have 20 or we can have three photographers. And I would love the film industry to open up to the opportunity that they have, especially Mm -hmm. now with the technology and what I just said to you that you can get images from the actual footage if you can do that you can that means you can employ say four or three other photographers and give them complete creative Mm -hmm. freedom Mm -hmm. the images that you would get back would be so amazing so amazing i know just trust your creatives just trust that they can really take an image somewhere else and you know that you're covered because you can say pull images from the footage itself or have one photographer that you know will definitely get you the shots but have two others that can really push it why not right yeah. right 
I just had a meeting recently where it was an umbrella of networks all in one meeting, basically. And one of the network was like, when I was showing some of my work, I was like, oh, and this is actually on film. Like, oh, film, like, we would love to have you come in and shoot film. And I was like, that's my dream to be on set and shoot film. Like, yes, (laughs) like I'm ready. (laughs) Because in the past, I've kind of like snuck it. I don't want to say snuck it, but like, yeah, I I guess I did because- You You couldn't make a statement out of it. Right. But I think it's worth trying to make a statement out of it. I think it's worth saying, you know, you can sort of play it a bit safer than I do, because I think with me, it's a bit of a hard line. I won't do a job if I can't shoot on film. So uh, that's my choice, though. That's And that's not everyone's choice. And I understand that some people can't make choices like this or don't want to, because this is quite hardcore which you probably love because you're an analog podcast so mm-hmm. you're like yeah, yeah. exactly <laughs> oh, girl i like that's down. my dream if i could just be like hey i'm only going to come to set with film and everybody be like okay <laughs> <laughs> but people if you explain the process people really right. get it but i think you know another way to do it is that you say you will get the shots this is safe I'll give you the digitals mm-hmm. but i also want to show you what i can do on an analog camera i don't understand I, I would be so surprised if somebody said, no, we don't want right. your creativity. Right. Well, why, well, why are they hiring you then? Right, if exactly. If you don't want your creativity. So, you know, if you make sure that you give them the coverage they want, and then you just deliver on top of it amazing film shots, sure, sure, sure they want you. Yeah. yeah. I think it's about communication and conversation. And I think the film industry is quite um, slow in terms of actually progress and doesn't like too much change. And you just have to sort of explain to a lot of people. And also there are so many people involved, right? So many mm-hmm. uh, departments and producers and production companies and a lot of people who are making decisions. And I think it's hard to convince them all, but it's possible the best way for me so far has been to have a relationship with a director, mm. you know, sort of talk to them about it. And to be honest, that's how I get jobs. I don't get jobs through production companies or producers. I get jobs through directors who fight for me to be on set and shoot in the way that I do. So that's very unusual again. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, see, I was thinking like, because I know, Chris, you're trying to like get into the union and Mm -hmm. do all that stuff to like properly be able to be hired and stuff like that. Like now, are you, Agatha, are you part of like a union or anything like that over there? Like. I wish hmm. we have no unions here. And, oh, really? Uh, oh, okay. Wow. Interesting. Yeah, Interesting. Yeah, and that's super, super sad. I mean, I don't know if my colleagues would agree with me, but personally, I'd love to be in a union. I yeah, think yeah, we, I bet, I bet. we need some um, kind of protection, I would say. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, in terms of your fees, anything can happen. You know, they might just say, we don't have anything. You have to sort of do it for free. I mean, obviously that doesn't happen to me anymore, but Mm. it happens to a lot of people and a lot of people would work for free. Um, You know, there is overtime that is not being paid. Uh, Some jobs (laughs) are actually not paying. So I had a situation Mm. that I'm very happy to talk about actually, because I think it's a good warning to others, um, where my photographs have been used on international posters. (gasps) And there has been agreement that I would be obviously paid for the job. And they just didn't No kidding. Mm. No way. And the way they can do it is that they knew that as a company, uh, they have more power, more say. They've got solicitors mm. behind them. And if I were to go down the legal route, um, first of all, you know, it's not necessarily 
seen as something that you should be doing because then you seem like you cause trouble. Right, exactly. Um, and secondly, they knew that probably for me to get a solicitor on board and sort of go forward with it would be more expensive than the fee that they yeah. owed me. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're just yes. like, what, what are you going to do about it? We exactly. <laughs> kind of deal. Exactly. That's, that's so messed up. Jeez. But, that, but that's where, you know, I, the reason why I'm happy to share that it's a horrible experience and it's been extremely painful for me to go through that. And I felt really let down. Mm. Um, but I think the reason why we have to share these stories is that something has to change. You know, yeah. you can't. Yeah be working and have an agreement with someone and then your picture is being used on posters and not being paid for it. Like yeah. that's just not all right. And this wasn't a short, this wasn't a student film. This is a feature film that was in the UK yeah. and the US and internationally distributed as well. So yes, I would love a union. I mean, I, I, I was even, a lot of people were sort of saying, you should just set up one. You should just yeah. do it. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, I think it's a bit more complicated than that. And I also don't know if it's part of people's kind of DNA here. You know, mm. the film industry has a very specific way of functioning. And I think even people who work for the industry, even the crew, I don't know if everyone likes the disruption or change. Yeah. I think, yeah. unfortunately, a lot of people are sort of happy for it to be ticking along. And there could be improvements uh, put in place. Um, there are some charities that are actually trying to do a little bit of work around it and look at mental health issues as well, which is like a massive one in the UK film industry. Nobody ever talks about it. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of silence. I think there's a lot of silence, lack of communication. And um, that's why I'm sort of quite happy to talk about the things that are potentially uncomfortable yeah, and potentially sure. people don't like admitting those either that anything right. like this happened to them. But I think let's talk about it and let's change things and let other people know that this has happened to you. So if it happens to them, then they know they're not the only ones being taken advantage of. And perhaps we can then start having a conversation about mm -hmm. it. So yeah, I, I think it would be amazing if we had unions, but I doubt it's going to happen anytime soon. Hmm. Yeah, I think we still have a long way to go here in the UK. Mm. Yeah. I hear I hear stories all the time. Like our one of our first guests, Jake, Jake mm -hmm. Giles Netter. He he's a unit sales. He's been in it for years. You know, he goes to California. He's worked on, you know, tons of movies and all kinds of stuff. Last I saw he was in like Atlanta working on some sort of new movie and and it's he would when we would like you know, go grab coffee or a drink or something and just talk photography. He would just talk about the people that were in the industry that um you know, there's like people that have been in it like for years and they're just not willing to kind of give up their spot they're just taking things and it's just the same stuff over and over and over yeah. again you know instead of bringing in like a new creative person that's doing something different like shooting film or whatever you know what i mean with like some fresh ideas it just seems like it's that's like another catch-22 with the union thing too because this guy's yeah. like protected and uh, they're not they're not going to tell somebody who's been doing this for 35 years that you know hey man step aside we got somebody with some fresh ideas it's just like that's another thing i hear that's like kind of scary with unions that you have people protected mm -hmm. that you're not giving new people chances to get on set or to bring breathe some fresh ideas into things. So that that's the most frustrating thing for me is because I've been trying for five years now to get into the union and like mm -hmm. the wall is just so freaking high. Well, it's just I when we were talking about it a couple weeks ago, it mm -hmm. was just like I remember you being like, I wish I could just pay the ten thousand yeah. dollars or whatever. And it's like I'm sitting here thinking 
that's crazy. Like, (laughs) that is insane that you're saying that because it should not be like that. You know what I mean? Like, it should be, especially in such a saturated area like L.A., you know what I mean? Like, there should be work for you, Chris. You know what I mean? Like, union or not, you should be able to get a job in the end i don't know it's yeah. see i'm i'm like a fine art dude i love shooting like all kinds like this is all just listening to this is very interesting for mm-hmm. me like i'm learning so much just listening to the two of you talk about this so but it's a very interesting um i think it's an interesting conversation to unions and i didn't know um that it's that hard to get into one as well because what's the point of them i'll tell you that what the yeah the rules are it's a hundred non-union days in a three-year period or mm-hmm. 30 union jobs in a one-year period. Problem mm-hmm. is you can't get hired on a union job if you're not in the union and you can't so be in the union unless you have the days. So, and they also, after the time has passed, the three-year or one-year period, they fall off. Yeah, then you just like lose all so your I, like, hours or something. So I lost yeah. a good amount of my hour, my days oh, because geez. they've fallen off. And I was on a, a project that was non-union and then, and then it flipped to union in the middle. So you need 30 union days. So I was like, okay, great. Like, and the rumor was if you're on something that flips, you're grandfathered into the union, but that wasn't Mm -hmm. true. But I was on the phone with the union representative, like, okay, like I, I, this was just flipped. How many days do I have? And she was like, okay, you have 22 days and I needed 30. (laughs) Oh my God. And then it was like impossible to get the, the other days because I'm not like, Nobody, and I've had conversations recently, like, you know, I have, I've had these meetings with, with, with networks and they're ready to bring on somebody fresh and has, you know, like a new way of looking at things. Like, what can I do? Can, if, if they are willing to bring me on, can I, can I have those days count for the 30 union? And she's like, honestly, nobody will approve an, a non-union photographer working on a union job. I'm like, so why is that even an option then? Like, <laughs> that's insane. That's yeah. really, really bad. I didn't know that. <clears throat> they make it so difficult. I thought that it would be open to people who are also that's trying what, to that's join what I'm the union. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, there's it's a little frustrating there, but I mean, when you're in the union, you know, it is all the benefits you you get, like you know, health insurance, you get retirement, you get paid overtime. Like I've been on set for 13, 14 hours and not getting paid any overtime, just my little day rate, you know. And I'm like, fourteen hours, I can't. This is like, yeah, <laughs> crazy. But I think. But I think that's the that's a really big problem, and that's maybe where unions got it wrong. Mm-hmm. Unions are there to protect people and to make sure that we can yeah. work in a safe environment and that we're looked after. If you can't join one because it's now becomes like an exclusivity club, well, what's the point of it? Right. Mm-hmm. Right. That's not yeah. what it was set up for. Like right. I think the setup was to make sure that we can work. And we're not being taken advantage of. Right. I didn't think that unions would be a private members club, but right. it sounds like they are. Sort of feels like yeah, a little bit. So, like to me. Yeah. yeah. From my experience, also there are a few, there are two jobs that I couldn't do because although they were, it was kind of with the British directors and they requested me to work on the film. Um, it was in the US and you had to be part of the union mm. and I'm, I'm not part mm-hmm, of the American mm-hmm. unions. So they, they had to have a stills photographer who was from there and from the union. So you see in, in that sense, for example, I actually forgot, but I, I have been blocked by a union mm-hmm. twice. Right. Um, but I kind of thought, you know, I'm in the UK. Okay, I get it. But in your case, Chris, that is a real shame. I mean, I'm, I'm still mm. working towards it. So 
It's like my I life, think, my goal. So I'm not going to give yeah. up. No, I think just keep doing, keep trying to sort of connect to as many people as possible, yeah. I suppose. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But in terms of like the support that you would get from other photographers. So say if there is a union photographer that can't do a job, would there be any potential of you filling in on a day or a few or no? I feel like <laughs> there was probably a couple years ago, but now I think they're being really strict on the, you know, who you have to be a getting, union. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, so so neither, neither situation is ideal in a way, right? Because ha- not having unions um, in a way is great because say I got a job mm-hmm. and I was a landscape fine art photographer and I ended up on a film set, but then the drawback is that you have zero protection and right. you might not get yeah. paid even, right. Right. Um, and right. you can forget about overtime, <laughs> but then, but then you have unions and you have all these protections and sort of privileges that come with it, but then how do you get into the union? And that's another problem. So I wish it was just much more equal, you right. know, so that yeah. people have equal chances and we could maybe travel a bit more internationally mm-hmm. and there weren't that many restrictions and perhaps there was a, like an, an overall protection for crew members who uh, work on film sets and they, you know, the, the protections would make sure that we do get paid. Right. And we don't do overtime and all these <laughs> things, but that's a dream. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> that's not gonna happen for a while so with your photography are are you still doing like moody landscapes or is your focus pretty much like the the film industry and set photography and stuff like that are you working on anything personally yeah i want to hear i want to hear about the the rain studios it's something interesting happened so obviously i sort of came from the landscape black and white Mm -hmm. fine art kind of photography and then went on a film set and I sort of only work on film sets now. So when it comes to photography, I don't really do a lot of other photography. And um, maybe it's because it's been 10 years and that Mm -hmm. kind of became my job, but maybe, I I don't know, it just just kind of became something that I see through the lens. And um, I I also do other things uh, in terms of kind of creativity that isn't necessarily photography related. It's more kind of moving image and a little bit of production um, and a little bit of directing. So I think when it comes to photography, it's it's very pure in a sense that it is analog mm. and it is to do with film sets. And I know that there are so many people who always do a lot of amazing personal creative projects. But I think the reason why I would only work on film sets is because I really enjoy collaboration Mm. and i really enjoy being together with others and i think in photography very often you would be on your own and you would be kind of um a lone wolf in that sense and on set you know stills photographers are a department of one right you're not really part of the camera department you're sort of next to it yeah however you know i still have this incredible interaction with the camera department and the director as well and i still have to capture the vision for them and it's still a story that an image has to tell um there's this feeling of like true collaboration and an exchange and i think doing projects on my own perhaps i find a little bit too solitary and i've realized in the recent years that I'm a very, very social person. Mm-hmm. I love the interactions with people and I love exchanging ideas and working together as a team. And so being a photographer who sort of 
does projects on their own, I think that's why I'm not doing it. It's not that I don't see beauty all around me outside mm. of a film set. I do. But I'm not inclined to capture it because I want to hold on to the memory of it in my own mind, I suppose. Mm. Mm. Wow. Yeah. But I like using photography as a means of expression and communication and it's a dialogue with the story, with the director, with the sort of the whole crew that I'm working with. So I think that's why I wouldn't necessarily be shooting solo projects because I really like working with others and being close to them and and communicating their vision. I love that. I think that's very beautiful for me. So it's less about how I see it and setting projects and setting images in the way that I want to style them because that's the image I have in my mind. It's mm -hmm. much more about here's the story or here's the character or here's the mood. How do we communicate it? How do we capture that and represent it within still images? I think that's a, a beautiful brief and I, I love working that way. That's amazing. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. So can you talk about your production studio a little bit? How long has that been around yes. and what is that? So my partner and I started Run Studio. Um, so he has been doing EPK on film sets. So for those who don't know what EPK mm -hmm. is, mm -hmm. it's an electronic press package. Um, so that would be sort of interviews with cast and director and some producers that would be filming behind the scenes and sort of creating a package a press package for the PR team to then push out when the film is being released before the release for the film festivals. Um, so Robbie, who is now my husband, would be <laughs> doing sort of behind the scenes with moving image. Um, and I was doing still yeah, images. That's awesome. And mm. um, we both just felt like we can take our skills further and combine them. And that's the kind of a, so a no-brainer. <laughs> yeah. So we, we started the company two years ago. And it's actually quite a big change for me in a way too. But that's something that I wanted. I wanted to work closely with people and I didn't want to be a solo photographer. So teaming up with a person that does moving image absolutely makes sense. Mm -hmm. and, and kind of fills me up with sort of even more joy because I have this constant dialogue with someone that is a creative dialogue. Um, and also Robbie brought a bit more of um, a kind of social aspect to the work. So, so he's, he's quite sort of engaged with um, supporting social causes and, and creating sort of or working on projects that are to do with social good. And um, that's where Ran sort of started working towards social awareness campaigns. And yes, we would still do together film projects. So for example, last year, we worked, both of us were on a film set uh, directed by Francis Lee. It's a it's a film called mm. Ammonite with yeah. Kate Winstead mm. and Saoirse Ronan. Mm. Coming Dreams. out, uh, it will probably be out soon, but who knows now oh, with right. obviously all the films being pushed because of coronavirus. So we have no idea what's going to happen. But it's a film that we really, really enjoyed visually. It was absolutely unbelievable. And Robbie was on it as yeah, well. And, so cool. and I was doing the stills. And they only wanted me to do the stills. And I did it on um, analog as well, which is Amazing. great. <laughs> um, really, really cool. Um, so we do film productions, uh, but we also want to do things that are sort of socially engaged. Mm. And, um, and also 
a little bit moving towards the moving image as well and video. And right now we are, we actually, right before the lockdown, uh, we managed to shoot a music video, which we are editing now. Cool. Um, and that was our first sort of music video. But I think, I don't know how you both feel about it, actually, in terms of photography and moving image and the kind of conversation between the two. And I don't know, do you do you dip your toes into moving image or do you stay in still? Yeah, yeah. We both we both do mm -hmm. video stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of, I mean, you kind of have to this day and age. You yeah. know, you kind of have to know a little bit of everything if you want to be kind of successful with things a yeah. little bit. I've never done it for like a paid gig, but we both have like our YouTube channels and branch out that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a fantastic way to sort of explore something different. Mm -hmm. And I think um, we both wanted to see whether or how we could apply our skills in other industries as well. And that was interesting because we've realized that you know, the, the problems with the film industry that we talked about and, and how sometimes crew members might be treated unfairly, um, we've realized that these problems might be actually quite specific to the film industry. Mm -hmm. And many of them don't exist in other situations. Right. And that was interesting, you know, mm -hmm. in terms of, for example, the situation that I said, when you're not being paid for your work, we have not come across it outside of the film industry yet. Normally clients would pay up front even, mm -hmm. you know, or always pay on yeah, time. Yeah. You don't have to chase them mm -hmm. for three or four months. They pay within two weeks. A very interesting experience. And I think by doing that, by teaming up and also by expanding and working together in other industries, we became stronger in terms of coming into film projects and sort of saying, look, it's either we're going to work that way and we have clear uh, kind of outlines of what the work entails or it's not going to happen. And I think, right. I think it's important to always have something else to compare whatever it is you do to because one thing informs the other and you can get a lot of strength from doing something else that perhaps isn't photography. So um, it's been a fantastic experience actually not just creatively, uh, but also in terms of business, um, but mainly in terms of just going back into the film industry and applying the kind of new processes that now we would have as a creative studio, mm -hmm. um, applying mm -hmm. them back to the film industry and sort of trying to implement them within the film industry oh, interesting. as well. So I, I think if, if, I always sort of think that if there is anything that you can do that doesn't necessarily seem to link up right away to whatever it is that you do first, do it anyway, because it will inform the main thing that you want to be doing. Um, and, you know, the connections that you make are always useful. And um, I think there can be a cross kind of, um, you know, pollination almost of processes. And I think that's the important bit. So right now, because Obviously, everyone is in lockdown and mm -hmm. there are no jobs. Uh, the film industry has been affected very badly. And I really feel for everyone and all the freelancers. Right now, the UK government is not offering anything to the yeah. self-employed, which right. is shocking. Um, but I think that everyone will be stronger from it. And what we're doing as a studio now is that we're offering sort of free consultations to do with like social media outreach and what people can do in the time when everyone yeah. is on their phones and everyone is consuming so much content. 
Um, yeah. And people can call us and have a chat with us for free. And, you know, we worked with marketing and PR teams for the past 10 years. So actually, we know quite a lot. Yeah, I and, saw that on your um, website. I'm glad you're bringing it up. That's really yeah. helpful. I just I just thought we really have to sort of help one another. And mm-hmm. But that's, again, something that I feel like we can do as a studio because it's the two of us and our work as a studio it's not only kind of engaging with the social aspects, but also very much social media is part of what we do. Mm-hmm. And we help other businesses create content for social media and, and talk about mm-hmm. strategy with them. So I feel like we are in a position where we can actually help. Had I only been a stills photographer, I don't think I would be in that position necessarily. Right. Because yeah. I wouldn't yeah. have had the experience of sort of helping others with content and you know, I yes, I, I do that for film productions, but it's amazing when you can stretch it further. So run is basically just like the furthest stretch of what Robbie and I do. And we're just trying to see also how much further we can push it. But I think we'll always go back to film sets when we are requested because it's so inspiring. And, you know, after 10 years, I have so many friends on sets. Mm-hmm. And I think this feeling of going on set you always have different people, mm-hmm. um, but you always recognize a few, and that's quite nice. It always feels like home. Yeah, it's the best when you're like, hey, you're on this too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's really, really good. And I think it's nice when you actually shoot on film. I'm not sure, um, Chris, how that would work for you and whenever you manage to sneak a camera, mm-hmm. an analog camera, if you have any reactions. But um, I feel always extremely supported by the by the camera crew. I, they absolutely love it. They yeah. love the cameras. They love that it's analog. They love that it's film. So everyone is really excited. Sometimes I just have producers who obviously allowed me on the job but don't really get it and they would right. sort of say things like "Ooh, like this is oh this is taking yeah. me, taking me back to the 80s and it's like well <laughs> yeah. N- no yeah <laughs> maybe Let not me, yeah yeah how do the how do the actors react do you pull them during lunch or do you kind of show up and say okay so this is what i'm gonna be doing like if there's any moments during the day if i can grab you are they open to that or how does that look for you interesting Lo- love it as a question again because not many people know how closely you have to work with actors mm-hmm. as a stills photographer uh sometimes people ask me like do you actually like are you really close to them and like it's like i have to speak to them like right. i have to right. i have yeah. to speak to yeah. them like i have to like i when i work with them i'm super super close and also i work on primary lenses mainly so like i would be on a 55 say you know, yeah. I, if I want a close up, I have to be right next right, to them. Right, right. And yeah, and yeah. I think that's important for actors. I will go back to your question, but I also think it's important for the actors to know where you are and know that, say, if you are shooting a close up, it's good for them to see you physically be close to them because they know what you're doing, right? And they can help you or tell you that they don't want to be photographed, right? But if you are somewhere far away mm-hmm. and you're, you know, using a lens when you're really, really close and sort of concentrating on their face, they have no idea what you're photographing, right? right. So I like yeah. this relationship of like this closeness and this kind of intimacy that I have whilst being on primary lenses and mainly sort of being on 55. I love it. It's my favorite on set. In terms of how they react to it, 
the older generation loves it because it takes them back. <laughs> yeah. The images from the film 45 are stunning. Well, Charlotte and Tom were in heaven. They were like, uh, Agatha, this sound is so beautiful. Yeah. You know, the sound of clicking yeah. and um, winding up the film. And you're like, oh, this takes me back. Like, I miss it so much. And, and I get it because it's such a beautiful, soft sound. Like, it really takes you somewhere else. You know, it's not the kind of mechanical... Right. It's just, yeah. there's yeah. some, I don't know, there's some time for like reflection or there's just something magical about the sound itself and actors definitely react to it. Talking about the sound, obviously we have an issue of taking pictures during the take, which you can't mm. do if you shoot in uh, on analog cameras because um, they would obviously interrupt the filming itself. So I would shoot in between takes or I would uh. ask them when I can photograph them. Um, but the first thing I do to really answer your question is that I come on set and I introduce myself to the actors right away. I don't take pictures without having a conversation right. with right. them. And I explain how I work and I say that I only shoot on film and that I won't be shooting during the take, which normally they love. Right. Uh, because it's another camera that is not pointing at them. Mm -hmm. And then they're much more giving as well. And it depends, you know, it depends on a day. Some actors have bad days and they don't want to be photographed. But some actors always are willing to be photographed and will make sure that you get the shot and will help mm -hmm. you. So they kind of keep an eye out on you. And because they know that I'm not shooting during the take, they will see, they will sort of look at me and... Um, and then I, then I know that it's my, that I can do it. Right, that, you right, know, right, They right. will pose for me. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. it's so lovely because they have so much to think about. And very often they would help me and sort of make sure that we do get the shot. And they like it as well. It's, it's you know, even the really young ones who might not know what it necessarily is, because they might not remember it because mm -hmm. maybe, you know, it wasn't kind of around. I mean, now it's a cool thing to do. So even young kids sort of know about it. But some actors might not know that I'm taking photographs on film and what that means. But they get really interested in it after a while. And um, usually you have fantastic conversations. And it's just something that makes you stand out as well. You know, it's something they haven't seen before. Or, as it is the case with sort of elderly actors, it's something that they've missed. Right. And they haven't seen on set for a while. So, usually the reaction is quite beautiful, actually. And, and you know, you, you, you have a chat about it and you talk about why is it different and why would that be a choice? And, and I think they, they appreciate it as a creative choice. Um, but you mm. do have to explain what you're doing and always introduce yourself and ask if it's okay and I also always say, look, if at any point you don't want to be photographed or you don't think it's the right time that I'm taking pictures of you, just tell me. Right. So, you know, again, just communication and nobody will tell you off if you make sure that they have the power and they're in a position to say not now. Um, but there, there have been tricky situations for sure. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Can I ask you what, what camera you're using? Yes, yeah, so I've got... Yeah, that's yeah. what I was going to ask. <laughs> what shutter are you talking about? So I've got um, a Nikon FM2 is my absolute favorite. Yes, what uh, so beauty. Love that that's camera. the one that I love the most, mainly because it's so light and it's so easy and I just know it inside out. So, 
you know, I think it's really fantastic with, with cameras, the kind of intimacy you have with your cameras that you really know it. Like I couldn't explain to you exactly what I do with it because Same. I just mm-hmm. do it. It's mm-hmm. in my hands. Yeah. I don't have to yeah. think. It's like a dance. Right. Beautiful. And then the yeah. other one. Yeah. So the, so the Nikon FM2 is the one that would normally have color stock in. And then on my, on okay. my second shoulder, I would have a Nikon F3, which usually is with the black and white stock. So I just always have them in the same, they're always arranged in the same way. Like I know which shoulder, which one goes on. And right. yeah. they right. always have <laughs> yeah, system. Because systems are very important though, because, you know, you see something and you then quickly think, okay, you know, which lens, which camera, which stock. And then if it's always in the same position, because it's a, it's a matter of seconds on film sets because opportunities just disappear. Yeah. And very often you can't ask anyone to recreate it because there is no time. So you have to be super quick. So if your system is always the same, it makes it so much quicker for you to yeah, make that decision. Yeah. You know, it's milliseconds. You make the decision, your hand is already there reaching for what you need for that shot. So I'm a huge believer in systems actually. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Now what films are you using? <laughs> what black and white and colors are you shooting? So so um I love Kodak Portrait 400. Yes. That's mm. like beautiful for mm, skin yeah, tones. Classic. Really mm. really amazing. And with black and white, my favorite one ever, which was a Kodak 1600, doesn't exist anymore. Mm. So that was something uh. that they stopped uh maybe six seven years ago i don't know maybe you had it for longer in the us but in the uk it disappeared and i was absolutely devastated because again you know for sort of dark yeah dark sets and dark situations with the 1600 black and white i could push it to 3200 and i was so happy yeah. um yeah that's perfect that was so good but now i think there's an Il- ilford 3200 mm-hmm. but i don't like it that much so ah. i don't use it um, I basically try to use whatever's going with black and white. But I, with black and white, I actually like experimenting because um, I just think it's important to sometimes try new things. And, you know, when you shoot on film, you don't really know what you're getting necessarily. Yeah. 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 And I oh, think... I love that. That's my favorite part. Right. That's my favorite part as well. I really, really love it. So I kind of feel like with color... I always stick to Kodak Portrait 400, mm. or sometimes I have to go up to 800. But with black and white, it just sort of depends. I like to, because obviously I know that black and white images won't be used as the main commercial images because they never are, sadly. You know, they don't use that many black and white images. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm, I'm kind of just, I'm happy to experiment, see what's in my fridge see what's in the store if I'm there and just kind of pick something up. And I don't have my favorite since I lost the one that I loved so oh. much. I, I never replaced it with anything else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's always a bummer. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, but I think it's it's good to see that film is still, you know, it's still going. And I think it, it has a bit of a revival now, right? Like, oh, yeah. Hopefully we're not going to lose more stock. And yeah, Kodak's thankfully brought back too. Yeah. So yeah, hopefully they'll yeah, bring back... I, the one you loved. Oh, that's next on the list. Oh, that would be so amazing. I mean, I I was very, very sad, you know, a few years ago when it seemed like there was less and less film and people were not really that interested in it mm-hmm. then because everyone shifted to digital. And um, 
I'm just really happy to see that people are picking it up again. Yeah. And I had a conversation with my photo lab. Um, I've been working with them for like 16 years, I think. And they, um, there was a point like a few years ago again when, you know, they were sort of canceling stock and I talked to them and they said, God, we're actually quite worried that we might go under. And a lot of photo labs in London did go under and did have to close, but they're, they're super busy now and they're doing really well because everyone wants to shoot on film, which is beautiful and fantastic. And I always encourage people to shoot on film and always give Absolutely. those who are really interested. I give them, I give them a roll of film and yeah, I say, yeah. there yeah, you go. Yeah. I do that all the time. <laughs> so us too. Yeah. I have a friend, I'm like, I have a point and shoot. You can just take this and like, give it back to me. I'll develop it for you. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. Yeah. It's really important to encourage people to kind of shoot in that way because there's nothing else that is as magical as that. And, you know, to think about the role of film that has been there with you wherever you were, like mm -hmm. it was physically there, like yeah. how amazing. And then it had to travel with you and now it's in your room somewhere how great is that yeah. that's magical. crazy you know for it me is. like it i have magic. these i i like when i think of like on these shelves how i have a roll of film that was in yorkshire and woodering heights and it was in norfolk on 45 years and yeah. it was in budapest on another film and it's like this is crazy yes. that this film was there with me i never thought of it like that that's really wonderful yeah <laughs> it's really beautiful i think that's why i love it so much that it's basically just there on the shelf and mm -hmm. you know where it is and yeah. it's traveled with you do you plan on doing anything with these images i know there's no union are you allowed to like do like a zine or a book or anything like that of of, of your work interesting so i always make sure that in my contract I have a clause where I could promote my work using the images and that means exhibitions and book oh, publications. That's so smart. I know. I've started it from like day one. Yeah. So on Woodering yeah, Heights. Good, good. But that's Andrea that's Andrea. And Andrea was like, just make sure you can use these images. And I wouldn't have thought of it before. And usually you don't have any rights, but I right. do fight to have that right because I think every photographer deserves to be able to show their work. Yeah, Absolutely. I agree. Very yeah. important. Especially since since you're not doing like just a capture of the scene, you're doing like these incredible portraits. Yeah, that's important. I think that is important, but it's a difficult conversation to have. And I understand that they are very kind of freaked out about images being shown where they don't want them to see and all that. But so far, I, I don't have anything planned, but I, I do think that maybe in 10 or 15 years, I would like to have a little book or an exhibition of the little moments on set that I have captured. Um, mm. I don't know why I think about it in, in such long terms. You know, it's something that I could easily do now or mm -hmm. um, put together now, but I, I would love to do it later on to kind of just have a little look at the evolution of it. I almost feel like 10 years is not long enough. Like I know there's been a lot of film sets and I know I have a lot of work, but I just like to see my journey later on as well and look back at it. I just don't think it's there yet. Mm. Do you see what I yeah. mean? I just want to yeah. wait a little bit longer. Like and a time capsule. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. A little bit. I, I would love to, I'm not really looking at my images ever. Uh, other than when I edit them and sort of give them to the production. And I would just like to revisit them 
uh, like sort of old letters that yeah. you revisit, you know, like in 20 years time, sort of old letters from all the lovers that you've had <gasps> and then beautiful. you sort of look at it and oh, open that box. So awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that's why I'm sort of, I'm just, I just want this magical moment to kind of just, I just want to feel it. I just, it basically is, I just want to feel it within myself that I, I'm ready to revisit and I'm ready to reconnect and I, I just want to see it again and feel it again. It feels too fresh still. Right. You know, right. I still remember sense. where I was and which corner of the room I was hiding in. Yeah. It's still like recent to me. Um, yeah, yeah. And I, and I want to kind of be a bit further from it and, and miss it and then compile the work with this kind of longing for it. Mm, awesome. So we'll see. <laughs> We'll be right back with a listener question for Agatha right after this message from our sponsor. Support for Analog Talk also comes from Polaroid Originals. Go to PolaroidOriginals.com and use the offer code ANALOGTALK10 at checkout to receive 10% off your next purchase. All right, guys, this is the part of the show where we break off and take a question from one of our listeners. And this week's question comes from Adrian Gomez. He Well, first he says he loves, loves, loves your work. And the question is, how much collaboration is involved between you and your directors? It's a good question. It's a beautiful question. And you know how I was talking <laughs> before about collaboration and how I love being on set and mainly do that kind of photography because of the collaborative aspect of the work. Yes, yes. The collaboration with the director is the most uh, important and intense one. And it's um, something that actually involves a lot of time. So I don't know if that's the case for every still photographer, actually, but I work with them really closely. So we chat a lot about the film before I even go on set. Mm. Oh, wow. I always read the script. Oh, um, wow. Usually, oh, that's awesome. yeah. <laughs> usually, I would also have a chat with a director and a producer after I read the script about the days that I do on set. And I know that's quite unorthodox because normally PR companies would decide that and publicists. Yeah. But um, this conversation with directors is very, very important because obviously this is their story and they have some images in their heads about it. And, you know, film is one thing, but that's, say, two hours long to tell that story. An image is one singular image. Mm. Right. And I know it's a collection of images, but how can you try and capture the essence of the film if you only had one image? So that's how I think yeah. about every single image, wow. really. And um, I do talk in great detail about the film and the sort of images that I see when I read this, read the script. And, um, and then on set, again, we have a chat. Some of them want to see images throughout the production um, and, and kind of for inspiration often as well, which is brilliant. And others prefer not to see anything, just concentrate on being on set, yet we would still chat. Um, sometimes they would come up on a day and sort of say, oh, Agatha, look, like this is happening now. This would be amazing. And that next scene, you know, wow. I really love, you know, it was really important for me to, to represent something with hands, for example. And then, you know, I know that this is what I want to concentrate on. So it's a very close relationship. And then afterwards, we do stay in touch and sometimes they would want to go through the images with me and pick them. Um, sometimes they want to do it on their own, but it's a very, very close relationship. I really don't know. I actually never had this conversation with other still photographers, mm -hmm. how they work. 
but I would say my main point of contact is the director and I would always communicate with them the most and work for them. So in my head, although I know that someone else is sort of paying for it and, and um, contractually I'm obliged to deliver certain things perhaps, but in my head, I am there just for the, just for the director. So it's a mm. super close relationship. It's amazing. A lot of collaboration. Yeah. That's like the dream right there. That's yeah. so awesome, man. Oh. I'm jealous. <laughs> I'm jealous. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I believe it, Chris. But you can but you see you can do it. It's really it's really about communication. It's really about inviting these conversations. Right. It's it's yes. not this isn't anything special in a way. Like you can you can achieve that it's just a human-to-human -human connection. Right. You just have to think who this film is being made by and who has the vision yeah. for it. And you want to have a conversation with that person. I know that there is a lot of worry about, you know, how to approach people who are so busy and they're directing the big names and... But, they, but you're there for them. Right. Like, you're there to capture images for them. They want to speak to you. And maybe those who are afraid of approaching directors should try it just mm -hmm. to kind of see that this isn't a scary thing and they probably would be very happy to speak to you and just just make sure that you communicate you're there for them you're there to capture their vision to represent their film and why wouldn't they want to speak to you about it that would be mental right right that would be that yeah. would be you've definitely inspired me and changed my mindset so i i appreciate I'm, I'm so that yeah happy to hear that i mean just everyone even the actors you know they're just they're the same as right. us, mm -hmm. human beings. Yeah, human, yeah. Always approach them from that place. And, you know, rarely they would not want to engage. Sometimes that happens, of right. course. But I think it's all about approach and attitude. And you, if you kind of want to have a conversation with them and come from a place of trying to deliver the best and trying to understand what the person is about, I can't understand why someone wouldn't want to engage with right. you. Yeah. Well, that was a great, great answer. Thank you, Adrian, for yes. sending that into yes. us. We have one more tough question for you. Do you want to ask two, it, Timothy? Two more. Yeah. Two oh, more, two more. Two more. Two more. Two more. Okay. All right. So the, we have the old uh, desert island question. Right. You might have answered it already when we talked about your the cameras that you use. Yes. But you can you can only take one camera with you on this island for the rest of your life. Your portrait will be there, and you can get it developed if you need be. <laughs> But, yeah. Um, yeah. So, what uh, what camera are you gonna take? <laughs> I, I, yeah, I did answer it. It's my Nikon FM2. It's I'm just obsessed with mm. it. I I've had it since I was. I mean, I have two now, but the original one I got in Paris with my dad when I was 14, and I still have it. I'm 35 wow. now, and um, wow. you know, awesome. I I got it as a I just like photography, and I kind of wanted to do the landscapes and things, and that's the same camera that was there with me for Wooden heights and the same one that was there with me for ammonite and you know it's i think it's fantastic that these objects can last so long and they don't go out of date like right. the digital mm -hmm. ones do 
and you can really have them for 20 years. That's so amazing. I know. So, that is amazing. Yeah, Anikon FM2, um, that's the one. Uh, yeah, no question. So the part two of this question, yeah. that's a great yeah. answer. That is definitely one of my favorite cameras and I still to this Good. day regret ever. I let one go and I haven't gotten one since. Oh. And it, it's, it'll definitely be added back to the collection at some point. <laughs> yeah. But, Part two Go of on. the question is, is our white whale camera, is there anything that you've had your eye on that you haven't had a chance to, you know, own yet or shoot or, you know, is there anything out there that you, that's on the list that you haven't got to get to yet? Well, that might be uh, surprising perhaps, but I'm actually not exploring a lot of other cameras, which is interesting. And I know- She's one of those. I was, was going to say, she, we've had a few <laughs> give that answer and I, I we were both jealous yeah, of like, yeah. oh man, if I could just have one camera and not have to be yeah, like yeah. <laughs> scouring the internet for like the best prices on whatever is on my mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I really, I mean, it's, I always, sometimes I feel embarrassed, you know, when I have conversations with other photographers and people who are really into cameras and they're like, they have a whole collection of these amazing, beautiful cameras. And, and they ask me that question or something similar. It's like, what else would you like? What else do you have? And I just say, <laughs> I seriously have only worked on my Nikons and I only have my Nikons and I only want my Nikons. But yeah, that's the best. <laughs> no, that's a good place that's to be. The, that's a beautiful yes. answer. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Love it. So, I'm um, jealous of that. Me too. <laughs> uh, oh. Awesome. Well, Agatha, thank you so much for joining us. Um, where can everybody check you out? What's the website of the studio? You, where can everybody look at your work? So Instagram would be film underscore on underscore film because I just thought I should only film on film sets. I love it. So yeah. film on film is Perfect. the easiest way to kind of find me on Instagram. Um, I'm most active on our studio Instagram, which is Run Studio LDN, which stands for London. And you can also have a look at my website, which is www.agathaa.com. So that's where you can see kind of a slideshow of my work. Um, awesome. Yeah, I'd love people awesome. to have a look at it. And thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. It was a real pleasure. Definitely. Timothy, where can everybody check you out? Guys, you can head over to Instagram. Easiest way to find me is just go and search at Timothy Makeups. I also make film photography related YouTube videos. Go to the search bar. Just search timothy.makeups. You'll find a bunch of stuff there. Chris, where are you? So I am Crispy Photo on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. We are Analog Talk Pod on Twitter, Analog Talk Podcast on Instagram. And we have a Facebook page you can like and a group you can join and share photos. And especially now, you guys, we're all trapped in the house. Let's all talk to each other. We, uh, we need it for sure. Agreed. We need it very badly. All right, Agatha, thank you again so much. We really appreciate it. Yes. And guys, we'll, thank see, you. we'll you. see you in the next one. Bye. Bye. First off, Chris and I would like to thank Agatha for coming on the show. Thanks for talking about all the fun stuff that you do on movie sets. And it was just really cool getting to pick your brain and hear you and Chris talk about the movies and unit stills and you just doing what you love on film. It's just such a such a cool conversation. And we're so happy to have you on the show. Guys, it's going to take us to Patreon. Head over to Patreon every Monday. We're releasing the show two days early for our Patreon. Patreons. So for a buck, two bucks, five bucks, ten bucks, a million bucks, 
you can listen to the show early and we're also doing patreon after shows and special patreon shows just for you guys that are not going to be released to the public so we have one coming up with daniel rodriguez about zines and that's going to be a lot of fun we'll be releasing that sometime this week so yeah head over to patreon patreon.com slash analog talk and there's a bunch of stuff over there some other perks just check it out and yeah guys until next week we will see you soon later